0: Now let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts, the second chapter. We pointed out last week from the first chapter that you are the missions agency that the Lord has ordained in His church. His church is the missions agency. We'll read the first 21 verses and spend three, three sermons on Acts chapter two. Will you bow with me in prayer before we stand to read? Our Father, we have just confessed, I believe in the Holy Spirit. We do believe that this wondrous third person of the Trinity who indwells the people of God has formed us as missions church And we ask that as we come to this text this morning, that not only will our minds understand and be prepared for what follows, but that our very souls will be moved within the depths of us to know and to understand our place and our calling as the people of God and our calling as individuals in the world as witness bearers to the Savior who loved us and gave himself for us on the cross, who rose from the dead, ascended on high, and poured out his Spirit on Pentecost. And now, Heavenly Father, we also pray once again that those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, even as the people of God, feast upon the Word, that they themselves will understand their need of the Savior, and that the Spirit of God will enable them to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their own Lord and Savior. We ask these things with all humility, in dependence upon the Holy Spirit who has given to us this word by divine inspiration. Amen. Now please take your copy of God's word. We stand together. Acts chapter 2, the first 21 verses. This is the word of God. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, The Word of the Lord. Please be seated. Pardon me. People of God, the power of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost happened as the risen, ascended Lord poured out the Holy Spirit to give His church the power of witness-bearing until Jesus comes again. This was a great, unique, unrepeatable event with powerful continuing implications for the church and for your daily living. The apostles were told by Christ to wait for the promise there in Jerusalem, and in that prayer meeting, they prayed and awaited the promise that Jesus said would come from the Father, the pouring out of the Spirit. Pentecost is about living in the sphere of the Holy Spirit between the ascension and the return of Christ. Pentecost especially is about missions and evangelism. It is about the Holy Spirit's power given to the church in this age to bear witness to Christ. Gordon Ketty well said, Never again would unbelief be as ascendant in the universe as it was on the day Christ was crucified, because henceforth and until heaven comes, the church would grow and spread until the whole innumerable multitude of the elect would be brought to saving faith in Jesus Christ through the proclamation of the everlasting gospel. Now, as we come to this text, Let us first of all see the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. We have the opening words in chapter two. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place. The 120, perhaps others have joined them by now, but at least the 120, were in one accord and unified. They awaited the promise of the Father, they had all been praying. And Jesus had said in Luke 24, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high, which is repeated in the first chapter as we saw last time. Pentecost brought something new. It was the fulfillment of this Old Testament feast of Pentecost. The Old Testament background is found in the passage that Elder Montgomery read from Leviticus 23 this morning. This chapter describes Israel's sacral feasts and, and, uh, uh, and the sacral year. Passover in the spring pointed to the cross. Jesus observed Passover before going to the cross, and on the cross he was sacrificed as our Passover lamb that would take away our sins. And then 50 days after Passover, Pentecost was celebrated. And this also was the feast of first fruits. This is a harvest celebration. It, had been, it has been observed that God appointed this day to begin the portion of the harvested souls after the crucifixion and resurrection and ascension of our Lord. And in chapter 2, verse 1, literally it reads when the day of Pentecost was fulfilled. Pentecost is the day of harvest. This is Pentecost's real fulfillment. This is what Leviticus 23 on Pentecost was all about. 50 days after the Lord's day, when Jesus rose bodily from the tomb, the harvest of souls begins. The spirit begins to apply the cross. This is an epic. This says something new is happening. Now let us not forget, the powerful prayer meeting that we looked at in chapter 1, the powerful prayer meeting that preceded this, and the unity of this body of believers in those prayers and longing for the promise of the Father. When we read in chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They were in that upper room, perhaps later in the temple precinct, And they were praying that the Lord would bring about this promise that was given. Yes, the Lord promised the power of Pentecost, but all prayer is for what the Lord wills. There's no mistake that fervent, urgent, passionate prayer on the part of the people of God preceded the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The Lord promised to give it, but the Lord worked within the hearts of His people to long for it. Now, this is something repeatable, that God's people gather for prayer, that we are in one accord, that we have a vision for reaching others for Christ, that we pray that the Holy Spirit poured out on Pentecost would be at work within this body to cause us to be a witnessing body throughout the world and throughout our community, that the Father gives us this promise and that we acting upon that promise go out and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is repeatable. So that's the Feast of Pentecost But secondly, will you notice the signs of Pentecost, the signs of Pentecost? And there are three signs here in Pentecost. There is the sign of sound, of sight, and of speech. Sound. We see in verse 2, "...and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting." The Old Testament, of course, would come to the minds of these well-trained apostles and others. The breath of life, the windstorm at Sinai when Israel was formed as a people of God. Ezekiel in chapter 37, who prophesied to the four winds and God sent those, those winds, the breath of the Spirit, and raised the dead in the valley of dry bones. The sound reminds the people, and it does not say the wind came, but the sound that would remind them of wind. The sound reminds the people of God, of God's great redemptive blessings. It reminds them that He is Almighty, it reminds them of His power, it reminds them of His creative redemptive word. And in John chapter 3, verse 8, Jesus says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell from whence it comes or whither it goeth. So is everyone who is born of God. That same sovereign blowing of the wind. As the word of God is preached and goes forth like a dandelion seed, and the wind blows it to the intended heart that it might take root through the Spirit's power. So that also continues today. There then is the sound that would remind them of these things, of God's creative might and power, but there also is sight. We read in verse 3, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Each disciple received a flame resting above them. The tongues above them means endowment of power so that they may speak the truth of God with the power of the Holy Spirit in and through them. But also, they are flames, but no one is burned. God's presence was signified by wind and fire in Exodus 19, and 1 Kings 19, but especially note Luke chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water, But one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, that has already been referenced in chapter 1, verse 5. For John baptized with water, Jesus says to his disciples, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. He is bringing to mind what he taught them in Luke chapter 3. Baptism with water was central to John the Baptist's ministry. But there was a greater baptism that would come, and it's happening here on this day of Pentecost. The threshing image, of course, means that Pentecost is also part of God's end-time judgments. And so there is one baptism on Pentecost with two results. The first is blessing upon the regenerate. But there is also the curse of judgment that is yet to come. There's a positive outcome and there is future judgment. Because Christ bore the judgment of his people, he pours out his Spirit upon them, and the fire that is over the disciples does not consume them. The new work of God that brings light and not judgment to the people of God is the stress on the day of Pentecost. And so there is the sight of these flames above the disciples' heads representing the endowment of power so that the church may speak the word of God. And then there also is the sign of speech. We find it in verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now these were not ecstatic utterances. These were understandable languages. They are foreign languages, dialects that are actually mentioned in the context If you come to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where the Apostle Paul is explaining tongues and its proper use, he makes very plain that tongues were intended as a sign of judgment against Israel for rejecting the Messiah and that the Lord was moving to the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Tongues rebuked the covenant-breaking Jews. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 references Isaiah 28, for with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. That is judgment upon Israel as he takes the gospel to the nations. So there is obvious power for witness. The apostles are given the ability to preach in languages unknown to them, but known to those who are gathered at the feast In Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost and there is then power for that witness so that there is the lifting of the curse at Babel. When God himself scattered the nations and formed the nations, God confused the tongues to separate humanity into nations as we read in Genesis 10. And now there is one message of the gospel that reverses Babel. There is one proclamation of the truth that reverses Babel. There is one message of the gospel that makes all who are endued with the Holy Spirit to be one people of God. They spoke in tongues because the gospel is for the nations. Missions again, people of God. This is what missions is all about. That is what is happening on Pentecost. God glorifying His own name through the bringing in of the nations through the gospel proclaimed and to which we bear witness. Now, tongues have ceased. Their purpose is fulfilled. Their purpose was to be a sign of judgment against Israel and a moving out to the nations, and that has already been accomplished. Not that everyone has heard the gospel, but the purpose of tongues has ceased but the Holy Spirit's power for witness continues in the church. When we come, for example, oh, all the way through the book of Acts, but just one example in chapter four, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This continues in the church today If you and I will but believe it and act upon the promise that is given, I ask you, do you believe it? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit poured out on the day of Pentecost was the spirit of power so that the church may continue to bear witness until Jesus comes again? Do you believe it? If you do, what part does this have in your prayer life? You know, we pray, and it's good that we pray for the healing of a brother, Uh, the need of a neighbor, Uh, the, the, the nation in which we live. But how often do we pray worldwide prayers for the extension of the gospel in China and in Iran and in Eritrea and in the Central African Republic and in Brazil? How often do we pray that the Holy Spirit will use us at Covenant Presbyterian Church as the witnessing body that we are formed to be? How often do you and I pray? Do we pray it often? Do we pray it daily? Fill me with the Holy Spirit that I may bear witness to my family and to my friends and my colleagues and to others that I will meet. Do we believe what we read here about Pentecost? What part does this have in your prayers? Are your prayers worldwide prayers? Is my witness, is your witness consistent and bold? It can be, because the Spirit of God indwells every believer. It can be. It's very concerning to me, if you listen to pollsters, and I'm skeptical, but nonetheless... When we read that millennial Christians in particular, some of them actually believe that it's wrong to witness for Jesus Christ, that it's wrong to confess your faith, and even some have come to the point that they believe that there are many ways to God while claiming to be Christians. This is not the work of the Holy Spirit, my friends. Yes indeed, we are called to be a witnessing body to the only savior of sinners and that is Jesus Christ our Lord. But now, having seen together the Feast of Pentecost, having seen together the signs of Pentecost, look with me briefly at the power of Pentecost. The power that is given on the day of Pentecost is the power to witness to the nations. Pentecost was not the birthday of the church, as some say, in the sense that the church never existed before this. It existed from Adam's faith in Christ, Abraham, and through the Old Testament saints. But there is a birthday in the sense that there's something new. There's a new form of the church that has taken place, a new covenant form. At Pentecost, the church, listen, at Pentecost, the church was born missions church. And so we begin in verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. Very religious people, it doesn't mean they were saved people. They came from at least 15 geographical areas according to this text. And they heard These apostles and Christians speaking in their own languages. Amazing, isn't it? Have you ever been in a foreign land where there is one language spoken and you're hearing this language that you don't understand and then all of a sudden someone speaks English? It gets your attention, doesn't it? So, all of these different people, all of these various men from all of these 15 different geographical regions, all of a sudden, hear Christians speaking the gospel to them in their own language. Amazing. And they were amazed. Actually, it says so. They were amazed in imperfect tense, not a passing amazement. They were really flabbergasted. Who would expect these Galileans to speak so many languages? They're just Galileans, they would be be country people. We love country people, but they didn't expect them to know all of these languages. How could this be? Parthia, far to the east, Medes and Elamites, who had been a part of the Medo-Persian Empire, Mesopotamia, central to the Babylonian and Medo-Persian Empire, Judea, where Aramaic, of course, largely was spoken. Cappadocia and Pontus, Roman provinces in the northeast of Turkey, pilgrims from Rome in the far west, Crete, Arabia, distant places underscoring the wonder of this linguistic miracle on the day of Pentecost. And in verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, the Magnalia Dei, The mighty works of God, that's what they were telling. What did they hear when the apostles and others went out and began to proclaim to them the gospel? They heard about Jesus. They heard of redemption in Christ. They heard of the remission of sins. And we know that that's what they heard, not only from Peter's sermon that is to follow, but we know because Jesus said in John 15, 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. When the Spirit of God fills a man, a woman, a child to speak for Jesus, you speak about Jesus. The focus is not on you. The focus is not even on them, the ones to whom you speak. It is on Jesus Christ and the great redemptive work that He has achieved. You'll be saying to sinners lost and in need, Jesus shed His blood for sinners. His blood is sufficient to make the foulest clean. He rose from the dead bodily. He lives. He ascended on high. He's coming again. Believe. Trust in Him alone for redemption. Repent of your sins. That's what they heard. We know that. In some places in which we hear that there's great, great emphasis on the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> you know, I've been in services where, where people, um, people um, rolled on the floor and were speaking in ecstatic utterances. That's not biblical tongues. Uh, and they said, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit doesn't speak of the Spirit. That is to say, He does not dwell upon the Spirit Yes, it's good to go through the Bible and study what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. He's the blessed third person of the Trinity. But the point is, when Jesus ascended on high and the Spirit came at Pentecost, the point is He would help us to speak of Christ because that was what the Holy Spirit was given to do on this day of Pentecost. Amazing. This is missions. They heard of redemption in Christ, and in the last days, people returned to David their king and streamed to the house of God days of restoration, days of reconciliation, applying the winnowing fork so that the gospel is preached, and those who preach the gospel are a saver of life unto life and of death unto death. What is happening as the gospel is preached and the power of the Spirit is there's the saving of the people of God and the sifting of those who will actually go to judgment because they do not respond in faith to that message. That's the power of Pentecost. This is about eternal issues, eternal things. This is about heaven and it's about hell. It's about the reality of eternal matters and where where people will spend eternity. But having seen something of the power of Pentecost, we see fourthly the future in Pentecost, the future in Pentecost. Pentecost is also a sign that we are in the latter days. And so Peter says that the Spirit prophesied these things in verses 14 to 21, the Spirit prophesied these things through Joel the prophet. And they said, these these men are drunk. And Peter says they're not drunk, it's not, not even 9 a.m. Now his point is that after 9 a.m. we can get drunk, that's not what he's saying. <laughs> his point is that on a festival day when Jews would not eat or drink anything until after the morning sacrifice, then you, you certainly can't assume that there is something about drunkenness here. But you know, it raises a question, doesn't it? How could wine explain languages? How could they even think that, explain languages that can readily be understood by them? But only those understood them whose language was spoken and many languages were being spoken. So initially it might have seemed like pandemonium. An evangelist of a bygone day tells the story of a man who spoke English, uh, French, Spanish and Portuguese. And he and some of these other evangelists would go down to the docks where the sailors would come in, in this particular place, and they would preach the gospel. So this fellow that spoke these various languages, if he heard French sailors, he would speak in French. But when he heard Portuguese, he would switch over and speak in Portuguese. And the evangelist said that sometimes some guys would stop for a few minutes and say, he's just drunk, don't pay him any attention. Well, that's because he wasn't speaking their language. He was speaking somebody else's language. Something like that is what is happening on the day of Pentecost. I want you to note something very important. Note how the disciples have changed. Remember how depressed they were before the resurrection of Jesus Christ? How seemingly lost they were how they've changed. Jesus rose. Jesus ascended. He poured out the Spirit with which they have been baptized and also filled for witness. And I say, who knows what the Lord may do with someone here filled with the Spirit of God as you speak the truth of God to others in love and in grace. Who knows what the Lord may be doing in some young man here who is beginning to sense a call to preach the gospel, and he will be filled with the Spirit and with God's power Maybe the next George Whitfield is sitting in our midst today. Who knows what God will do? But Peter with the Holy Spirit's power is very different than Peter without the Spirit's power. And you know, that is true of you too. You, with the Holy Spirit's power, being filled with the Spirit, is very different than you neglecting the Word of God and the Spirit of God. This is the fulfillment of prophecy beginning in the last days, verses 16 and 17. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. That's what is happening here. Pentecost is the beginning of the new work of the Holy Spirit. It is a start of the new creation. It is a new gathering of the nations to worship at the new temple. You are that temple, God's own people. And all of this the prophets proclaimed. And here we have the evidence of the new installment of the new creation. And when the gospel is preached or gossiped about, In the power of the Spirit of God, and men and women and children come to know Jesus, they also are baptized by one Spirit into one body. They too are now worshipers of the risen and ascended Christ, and they are part of the new creation ushered in by the Spirit of God on Pentecost. We now belong. We now belong to the age to come. We belong to the new creation And we testify to things that the world does not know and cannot know unless the Spirit of God regenerate hearts and grant saving faith. But he does that most often in conjunction with the message delivered. Now, fifth point, the church and Pentecost. The church and Pentecost. Pentecostal and charismatic friends, for the most part, see Pentecost as a paradigm for the personal baptism with the Holy Spirit, and they argue that tongues, by which they mean ecstatic utterances, that tongues are the sign of having received the baptism with or in the Holy Spirit. So they argue, if you do not have the sign, tongues, then you must seek the baptism with the Holy Spirit and long for tongues because that is the sign. Now, I've addressed this from time to time, and I'll not say anything lengthy about it, but just this. Tongues in Scripture are known languages. They are not ecstatic utterances. Such signs were so inseparably associated with the apostolic office that when the apostolic office ceased, so did tongues. Because the office of apostle was foundational, it does not continue. Tongues ceased as well. And tongues were a sign of Gentile inclusion and judgment on Israel, as Paul makes clear in 1 Corinthians 14, which certainly has taken place. What should we take away then as we read this account? You should not take away, I need to be seeking a baptism with the Holy Spirit where I speak in tongues. That's not what the text is teaching. We should take other things from this text, wonderful things from this text. What should we take away about the Spirit of God and the filling with the Holy Spirit? Let me give you these things first. Pentecost is unique and unrepeatable. I'm not saying that everything about Pentecost is unrepeatable. Revival is repeatable, and we should pray for that, but as an event, where the ascended Christ poured out His Holy Spirit upon the church with such signs as we see in this chapter, it is just as unrepeatable as the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. It's one complex of events, unrepeatable. Second, what is repeatable is God the Holy Spirit's blessing upon the preached word for the conversion of the lost and the upbuilding of Christ's church and upon your witness to others, That they may hear the gospel and be saved. The promise through Joel and his whole point it seems to me in quoting this section is that he wanted to come to what is recorded here in verse 21 as he prepares to preach to them and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the day of the opportunity to hear the gospel of Christ. This is the day for us to take the gospel of Christ to the lost and to say to them, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you here this morning and you're unsaved? If you from your heart's need call out to the Lord, he will save you. You have his promise. The Spirit of God is working even now to call God's people to the Father through the work of the Son on the cross, and He will save you. From what will He save you? From sin, from eternal judgment, from misery, and unto a saving relationship with the God who created you. Peter's sermon, as we will see when we next time look at at Acts, Peter's sermon will elaborate on this very thing, but right now, as an ambassador of Christ, I call upon you to believe and repent and come to Christ for the forgiveness of sin with the promise that if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. But there's one other thing for the people of God of great importance that every believer needs to get straight in his mind. Otherwise, you'll be confused. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for a select few believers who break through, working to receive it, and who are goaded into speaking with tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost now belongs to every believer in Christ. It is a one time thing that accompanies regeneration. An incorporation into the body of Christ. Now, here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 14. He says, for as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many when as a believer you are baptized with the holy spirit you are baptized you become a member of the body of christ so when is a baptized when is a believer baptized with the holy spirit when he believes the baptism of the holy spirit is once but the filling of the holy spirit and both happen at pentecost the filling of the Holy Spirit for works of service and witness and for Christian living is repeatable. So the formula is this. Please get it down. One one baptism, many fillings. One baptism by the Spirit into one body. One baptism, many, multiple, repeated fillings with the Holy Spirit. As we will see often in Acts. For the filling of the Holy Spirit, we should pray daily. Christians do not need to ask for the baptism with the Holy Spirit, because this happened when you believed in Christ. Turn to Ephesians 5.18, will you? Ephesians 5:18 Now this comes in a context in which Christian duties are being spoken of by the apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus and in verse 18 he says and do not get drunk with wine this is Ephesians 5:18 and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the Spirit. Do not be controlled by these sinful things, be controlled by the Spirit of God. And the context, of course, as I've said, are duties of the Christian life, the baptism of the Spirit is once, the filling much, many, and often. And in chapter 5, 19 through 21, 19 through 21, and just to read a little of it, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is grammatically dependent on verse 18, everything that comes after it afterward, and the duties of of wives and husbands and children to parents and so forth and parents to children they're all grammatically traceable back to verse 18 now when we go to colossians chapter 3 verse 16 if you're a note taker write it down and look at it later colossians 3:16 the command of ephesians 5:18 it's a parallel passage the command of ephesians 5:18 be filled with the spirit is replaced by the words Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The conclusion then is clear. You are filled with the Holy Spirit as you saturate your mind with Scripture and obey it in your heart. The spirit led Christian is a thinking person who thinks about and in line with the word of God. So being filled with the Holy Spirit is much more simple and a whole lot more profound than most people think. Would you be filled with the Spirit of God for acts of service to Christ? Would you be filled as a father in your home with the Spirit of God? Would you be filled as a witness bearer for Christ in your workplace? The way it happens... Is by letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. That means the Bible. It means being controlled by the gospel. It means saturating your mind and life with the Word of God rather than the junk of this world. It means loving the words, preaching. It means loving to read it. It means indwelling the Bible, just getting to know God in the Bible, getting the Word every day weighed down deep in your hearts. You will not be filled with the Holy Spirit. You will not use your time well. You will not be wise and discerning if you ignore the Bible or give it a minimal place in your life. If you give it a minimal place in your life, Then you will be misled by the falsehoods of the world. So, what about it? Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you? How? Well, you ask for it. The Lord will not give you a stone if you ask for the Spirit, He tells us in another place. But it comes by saturating in the Word, which is going to require more than sound bites. It means patience in listening to sermons, listening to God when you read His Word. It means filling your mind and heart with Scripture. And I will say it again, life without the Word of God is absurd. And if there's anything, young person, that you need more than anything else, it is to be constantly, constantly, constantly In the word of God. Hear your pastor. This is, I'm really saying what God says. And I do have a little experience with a Christian life. I really can tell you. You will go astray if you do not do that. You think Larry, when he goes down to Brazil, Larry's a very gifted man. God gave him those gifts. But how are these things being accomplished? It's because he's filled with the Spirit. (laughs) All right, let's conclude. I could go on all day. Look, Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon in 1877, a sermon from Romans 15. And in that sermon on Romans 15, the title of it was, Our Urgent Need of the Holy Spirit. Spurgeon said, The power of the church for external work will be proportionate to the power which dwells within herself. Gauge the energy of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of believers, and you will fairly calculate their influence upon unbelievers. You cannot get out of the church what is not in it. Did you hear that? You cannot get out of the church what is not in it. If indeed we are genuine Christians, we are entwelt by the Spirit of God. But we need to be asking and in the Word so that we be filled with the Spirit. You cannot get from the church what is not in the church. And so Spurgeon's plea should be ours that we rejoice in absolute dependence on the Holy Spirit and that we continually cry to the Spirit of God to quicken us in all things and quicken the Word as it drops into the sinner's ears. Everything acts after its kind, and we must have a living church for a living work. Daily, then, let us pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the Holy Spirit be at work in your hearts, that we be obedient to this call from Mr. Spurgeon, which is ultimately the call of God, that daily we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.